simply said, my storage is empty. My storage is empty and I am available as we There we go. Uh, my storage is empty and I'm available to you. And in the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, he says, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him much is required. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you and praise you. We thank you that you have sent a praise leader who sings the songs that cause us to remember that we are here to serve. When we say that our storage is empty, the blessings and grace that you have bestowed upon us are not supposed to be held, clutched in our arms, never to be let, let go of, but to give to your people. We have been blessed so much, and because we have received so much, much is required of us. Whatever we have stored up must be emptied out into God's children. For when we empty out what God has blessed us with, we are available to be used. And when we are empty, we can receive more from the Lord. So God, we continue to ask, humbly approach you, boldly before your throne, to bless us and continue to imbue your spirit upon us. Be with us as we continue to go down this journey of transformation. Each week, days tick off the calendar. 2020 will be here before we know it. Just a matter of days, it will be a new decade. But we're trying to get to a place that we are pleased, that you are pleased with what we have done. And so God, we ask that you continue to touch our hearts. Help us to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to rise up and no longer be silent in the face of injustice. Help us to no longer be silent in the face of people who lie, steal, and cheat. Help us to stand up and no longer be silent, God. To be the bold proclaimers of the kingdom of God. The bold proclaimers of your gospel. The bold people who embody your power that we may be a place of healing, a place of solace, a place of peace, and a place of joy. Help us, God, that we find the peace that you will give us if we ask. Help us, Lord, as we continue to go through this, this journey that we understand that we are supposed to trust you and only you. Not to put our faith in man, not to put our faith in things, but you and you alone. We can't rely on the government. We can't rely on our friends. We cannot rely on family. We can only rely on you. We have seen the signs that are happening in this world. The earth moans, Lord. Earthquakes that are being hit and at magnitudes we've never seen back to back. Earthquakes being felt hundreds of miles away. Cities being overrun with insects. Places that are so traditionally cold having heat waves of 90 plus degrees. The earth is moaning, God. Help us 
Help us, God. You said in your word in 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. We are a wicked people, God. And we tacitly approve and, and support this wickedness when we say nothing, when we stand by silently, when we continue to support people because of our own selfish gains. But we're transforming here at the Road to Damascus Church. We will be that beacon in a dark world. We will be the light when no one else can see. We will be the truth and the power of your word because that is who you have called us to be. So Father God, as we move forward in this service, be with us for a little while. Touch us, heal us, restore us, love us, that we may see your face and your reflection be in our hearts. We love you and we thank you for it. It is in Jesus Christ's name that we do pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, uh, the few people. <laughs> uh, you, you, uh, I'm just going to say it right now. Be patient with me today. I had struggled with this sermon all week. And when I tell you I struggled with it, I struggled with it and struggled with it. Uh, and even when I had the time to, to sit down and really get into it, I still struggled. And I was up till 4.30 this morning struggling with this after driving four hours from my convention this week. Uh, but, but pray with me, pray for me, and I think we'll get through this just fine. Amen. We're at the end of uh, the end of the month of July. Next week will be the first Sunday. It will be August, which, as we know, every every uh, Sunday I kept asking Stephen when his birthday was. We know next month will be his birthday. <laughs> Curtis, take it easy, my brother. Uh, and we also want to remember the Jacksons who are celebrated their uh, their wedding anniversary as well uh, this week. Uh, it's a blessing uh, to be with someone that you love and they love you back for a number of years because we've seen people who stay together just because and are miserable. But they seem to be a people who are not miserable but enjoy the company of each other and so grateful and thankful and keep them in their prayers that they will continue to be uh, that way together. Uh, so as we continue on with this, uh, this sermon series, Trust the Provider, Not the Provision, uh, we have to understand that and remember more than anything else that the provider is greater than the provision. Uh, we we are, are people who, who continually believe that the stuff that we have, uh, the people who are involved in our lives, the, the things that we possess somehow give us position, give us power, uh, but we keep seeing time and time again that when those things that we possess and the people who we hold so dear and in high esteem, that when they are no longer around, the only thing we have left is the provider. And when we put our trust in these things and put our trust in these people, when people betray us or people abandon us or our things fail, 
then sometimes we start have to look seeing we start to see these people who are losing their minds because they never would have thought XYZ would have done this to me. I never would have thought so and so would have said this to me. Knowing, like the word said, that who can understand the heart of man? Why would we put our trust in anybody, no matter who or what they say or how much they love us? Jesus even told us when he wrote, uh, had Matthew write these words in chapter 6, our, our theme scripture for this, this series, do not lay up, treasures, uh, lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is vitally important in the transformed Christian that our hearts be with God because if our heart is with God and with Jesus, we will understand that that is what the true treasure is. That is the true provision is a heart for God. We have seen many examples in the Bible, and for, for some reason I was led to Genesis, the story of Abraham, when, when he uh, took Isaac, when God told him to sacrifice the very thing that he knew that he valued more than anything else on this earth. Uh, everybody, you know the story that, that Abraham was an old man, and his wife was an old woman, and, and when the angel told Abraham that he would have a child, or his wife would bear a child, his wife laughed. It's like, there's no way. She knew because in the time, we understand that when you reach a certain place in time, that certain things become an improbability. She knew that she could not bear children anymore. Just like I know LeBron James is not the best player in basketball anymore. It's impossible. He's been doing it for too long. Father time is undefeated. We could sit here all day long and talk about how great LeBron James is and how this, that, and the other thing, and he's this, and he's the best, and he's the top five of all time. But top five the time is undefeated. Laker fans said Kobe Bryant, when his last years, that he was still the best player in the game, and we've watched him, his game deteriorate. We have watched... LeBron James' games deteriorate. I can't wait for this season as a Clipper fan to watch him be humiliated even more <laughs> on the court. But Abraham's wife knew she was too old. She still, Abraham wasn't going around there talking about, well, no, she's the baddest thing walking because we remember earlier when they, we, before we even get to this place that she was so fine, some king tried to take for herself. She was still a bad woman, but uh, Abraham knew that this wasn't going to happen, and Sarah knew this wasn't going to happen. But God made it possible. Uh, just like the elder prayed, that we can do all things through Christ. And so Abraham uh, is obedient to God. God says, offer up your son as an offering to me. The, the one thing that you have worked your entire life trying to have that you couldn't have that I have made possible to you. I have given you provision to have a child. I have provided you with this child, but because I have given it to you, you have to give him back to me. So Abraham is being obedient, and here we find in Genesis 22, verse 13, it says that Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. This is after he has taken his son and put him on the altar. 
bound him and put him on top of the wood and he was about to plunge the knife into his heart and it says that Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. The, new, uh, the King James Version calls it Jehovah Jireh. Because in Hebrew it means the Lord will provide. The provider is greater than the provision. At all times it is never uh, in dispute. There's one thing that we can understand about mathematics is that one plus one always equals two. Two plus two always equals four. We can write equals six. But the fact of the matter, 2 plus 2 equals 4, no matter how many other answers you put down. The provider is greater than the provision, no matter what happens in life, no matter what anybody tries to say, it is never untrue. And Abraham said, the Lord will provide because in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Everyone has something that we are, are worried about and something that we are, are, are trying to deal with. But at some place, we'll be in the mouth of the Lord and it will be provided. And we understand how important it was for God because just in the, the previous verses, uh, right before he was about to sacrifice uh, Isaac, it says, but the angel of the Lord called, from him, called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The willingness to give up the provision to the provider is the key for Abraham. Some of the things that we're going through, we have to ask ourselves, are we holding on to what God has provided for us? Or are we willing to give it up? Are we willing to empty our storage to give and be a service to God? Or are we holding on to it? Because you can imagine if Abraham refused this, I would be willing to bet that he would have lost his son anyway. Yes. Now, as we continue to talk about provision, we've seen this definition of what provision was for the last three weeks, but today we're going to be looking at this in particular, the act or process of supplying or providing something. The provision is an act or process of supplying or providing something. And we're going to find this in the Old Testament story, 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to look at these two verses, but the entire chapter actually most of this chapter is, is really, really relevant. We're going to discuss it, but we want to focus on this in particular. Verse 22 of 2 Kings chapter 4 says, Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. So this morning we're going to use for a theme. As we're dealing with this provider is greater than the provision. It is well. It is well. There's a, an old, old uh, 
old church hymn. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like, the, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I, they used to sing this when I was a little boy at church with my grandmother. And this is one of those songs I thought they sung so horribly. Little small choir with about four old women. Uh, a young teenage piano player who wasn't very good. And they would sing this song. They would sing it with such passion. Giving everything, everything poured out of their heart. But to my little six, seven, and eight-year-old ears, it was just horrible. It was just noise. But as I grow and become a man and, and an older man and hear those words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever has happened in my life, wherever station I'm at, wherever I am at this place in time, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. This woman that we just read about said to her husband, it is well. And if you know the story, you know there was a tragedy that occurred. And in spite of the tragedy, she said, it is well. The second verse of the song says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let the blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Even though Satan is attacking me from all sides, he's attacking my health, he's attacking my bank account, he's attacking my marriage, he's attacking my family, he's attacking my job. Everywhere I look, I'm being attacked. And when the trials come, I am blessed because Christ knows what I'm going through. And because he knows, he went and gave his blood for my own soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. How many of us really want to get to that place? Not asking if you are. How many want to get to that place where you can actually say that where you are right now, whatever happens to me today, whatever happens tomorrow, it is well. A lot of people will talk that they want to get there, but they really don't want to get to that place. Because if you actually transform your Christian walk to a place that says it is well, that means that you are going to no longer be able to complain. Why me have no more pity parties? It is just going to be simply it is well. And some people don't want to be there. You want to complain, you want to moan and groan, but I'm going to stop on that. So we see in this scripture, my boy tells his wife, it ain't the Sabbath, it ain't the new moon. What is the new moon? The new moon, biblically, was sometimes the first of the new month. Not always, but in most cases, it was the first day of the new month. It was a time for the people to bring offerings to the temple. And it's a special time to honor God, including having feasts. We know that the Hebrew people had certain times a year they would have these feasts. And this is when the, you had them was during 
the new moon. Uh, uh, in the scripture in 2 Chronicles 2 verses 4, this is Solomon talking. It says, Behold, I am building a temple for the name of, of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feast of the Lord our God. The new moon time frame is something that's important to God. Uh, interesting it was, it is important to understand that the new moon has nothing to do in this context with astrology or astronomy. This is just simply knowing that at this time, this appointed time, we are supposed to have, uh, uh, Solomon is saying this is what's happening and we're going to do this on the Sabbaths, uh, in the morning and the evening, on the Sabbath, on the new moons, and on set feasts of the Lord our God. But he ends it and says, this is an ordinance forever to Israel. Now there are some that will say, well, no, this is the Old Testament. When Jesus came, then all the, this is, is done. You know, I always have a problem when people try to dismiss the Old Testament. They you know, always try to say, well, we don't go by that. You go to some churches, they never preach from the Old Testament because they don't believe that the Old Testament has any value anymore because Jesus, the uh, Messiah, has come, and now the law is no good. Uh, well, see, Jesus was questioned uh, by the, the Pharisees of which is the greatest law. And we know what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love the Lord, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He was not saying that this is no longer relevant. He is saying if you do this first thing, love God, the Lord your God, with all your heart and soul and mind, the first three commandments of the, new t uh, the, uh, the Ten Commandments are covered. You will... Uh, uh, Keep the Sabbath day, and uh, 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 you will have no other gods before God. You will keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Uh, and I can't remember what that third one was. But you will follow those third things if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You will not take the name of the Lord in vain. If you love him, you won't do those three things. Then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, that means I'm not coveting. I'm not killing. I'm not doing all these things that we, the, the Ten Commandments say because I'm no longer going to commit adultery on my wife because I love her like myself. I'm no longer going to covet my neighbor's wife because my neighbor is somebody who I love and I wouldn't want this to happen to me. It doesn't abolish the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. It is still relevant for us to understand what the law is saying. And sometimes in our lives, we may not do this on a regular basis, but there are times that we should honor the first, uh, the new moon, the Sabbath, and have feast occasionally to honor God because he said, this is an ordinance forever. Yes. Not when my son comes and dies. He said, if he wanted it to say that you end this when my son dies and is resurrected from the grave, then we'll end it, but he didn't. He said, this is an ordinance forever. But we just... Whatever. We don't follow that. We're doing this new thing. Hmm. 
Now we're going to see in this story, we understand Elisha is the man of God, the, the, uh, the, the primary character in this story. We, we are introduced to Elisha because he was the, the or we were introduced to him previously because he was the disciple of Elijah. And in this chapter of, of, of 2 Kings, we, we first come to Elisha when he runs to a widow who has, has debt. Her husband is dead, and she only has a, a little bit of pot. And Elisha tells her to take this pot, grab all the pots you can, and start pouring the oil. Performs this miracle. Then as he leaves this woman, he comes to a place called Shunem. And he is introduced to a lady they just simply known as the Shunammite woman. And we read the story that he comes to this town and she was so great or glad to see that Elisha has come to the town she would always encourage him to come to her house to eat. In those times people understood that if you were kind to the prophet the, the man of God, if you invited him to this, probably where all these people used to do this in the south, always want the preachers to come over to the house to have dinner, but during the biblical times, they, they knew that the prophet was the direct connection to God. We hadn't had Jesus come yet to tear the veil, but they, the prophet was the connection to God, so if you invited the prophet into your home, you were inviting God because he talked to God. And she wanted him to come to his house, and when he left she went to her husband and said, let's build a room upstairs so that when he comes back to town, he can have a place like we'll put a bed, we'll put a lamp in there so he can stay at our house when he comes to town. And of course, he complies. She puts it in the house. Elisha and his disciple Gehazi comes and Elisha is, hey, this woman is taking care of us, dude. Every time we come, we got a place to kick it, and they feeding us every time we roll through town. We need to do something for her. What does she need? And he goes and talks to the lady, tells her to come to the room. Is there anything I can do for you? You've been so kind to me and my boy. Every time we come through, we got this fried chicken and catfish, and you got this room all laid out for us. What can I do for you? Can I go talk to the king on your behalf? Can I go talk to the captain of the army on your behalf? And she was, no, no, I'm good. I'm in with my people. I'm good. So he says to Gehazi, tell me, what does she have need of? And I, I really crack up in this, in the Bible in particular, because I'm going to read this uh, uh, specifically. I think in verse 14 says, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. I thought that was pretty dogged out. She is described in verse 8. There was a noble, a notable woman. She is described as a notable woman, and her husband is old. And she has no son, so the implication, because he's old, is that he just can't get the job done anymore. So he tells her that a year from now, you will hold a baby. My, my, my. Now, like Sarah, she knew this ain't happening because we've been trying and dude can't get it done. But Elisha, the prophet, that's what I told you before, a prophet, a true prophet is never incorrect. A true prophet's word comes true. Not all these clowns walking around calling a prophet this, prophet that. 
and then don't have them have one prophecy ever happen. And even if they do, like I told a friend of mine, a bloke, broken clock is right twice a day. So if occasionally, as a pro call yourself a prophet, you might have something right one day, but a broken clock is right twice a day. The rest of the time is wrong. But that don't make you a prophet because one time you said something and in 99 other times nothing came true. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, and it said, when the appointed time had come in verse 17, but the woman conceived after her doubt and bore a son when the appointed time hath come. When we're in this place of desolation, and we've been talking about this the last three weeks, when we don't have the things that we need. At some point, the appointed time is going to come when we are delivered out of this mess. You are at a place in your life and things are just not the way they are. It is at an appointed time that God will come and do what he needs to do to deliver you from this. But the good news about all these things is that God provides provision even for the things we don't even know we need. When Elisha asked her, what is it that you need? She didn't even know she needed a son. She didn't know. She just, I don't need anything. But God had provided this for her. And then you see, I read that already in verse 14 and 16. What then shall be done for her? She has no son and her husband is old. And he tells her her word at the very end of verse 15. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. You know I can't have no baby. Don't have me get excited about having a kid. I don't, I don't like people playing games with my emotions. I gave you this house, this room for you. I cook for you every time you come. You get fed with some good food. Don't lie to me. But God provides, provided her need when she didn't even know she had it, and he does the same for us. So now for us, when we get to this place of it as well, if we want to be of the kind of people that can say it as well, uh, you have to serve without expectation. There is no way of serving God expecting something in, in return and think you're going to be able to say it is well. Verse 9 and 10 of this chapter says, And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Verse 10, please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. I want to serve him. No, I'm not asking for money. No, I'm not looking for accolades. I just want to serve the man of God. She even acknowledged it. This is a holy man of God. We have to serve him. And people, though, we don't want to serve nobody. We always want something in return. Yeah, I'll give you this, but it's going to cost you. What makes you think I'm going to give you this for free? No, you can't come sit down and crash on my couch. We don't ever want to help anybody. We don't ever want to do anything without anything coming back. But God, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6, verse 34 and 35, says, if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. You giving somebody something and wanting it back, you ain't no better than a sinner. You calling yourself my child 
and you expect something in return. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and your sons, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. It is here he's saying, I mean, it's, it's, I'll have to tell you what it says. It says explicitly what it is. That don't do it hoping to get anything in return. Do it because you're good. Do it because you love me. Do it because I'm your God. And he said, and your reward will be great. Part of the problem that we have in this church today is that so many people will read this and your reward will be great and we think that's money. God is going to bless me with a big house because I've done this. God is going to give me a new car because of this. Your reward can be great. It means you may just be waking up tomorrow morning. And if you don't think that's a great reward, try not waking up tomorrow morning. Maybe it's, your reward will be great for the next week if you've been having chronic migraines, so this next week you won't have any. There is a whole, there is nothing specific there. It just says your reward will be great. But more importantly than anything else, and you will be sons of the Most High. That is the reward in of itself. To be able to say that I am his. I am serving because I am his. That is more valuable than anything else. That you will be sons of the Most High for the women and you will be daughters of the Most High. Because even he is kind to the evil people. Unthankful and evil people. So if you're doing good, you will be my son. Why wouldn't we want to be sons and daughters of the Most High? We have to serve without expecting anything in return. Uh, uh, if we want to be the type of people, the second thing to be, it, be able to say it as well, we have to stay focused. Verse 24 to 25 and verse 29b says, Then she saddled, remember she went to her husband, give me the young boy and a donkey. When he says, Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And she so departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. She was focused. We got a mission here. You take this donkey, and if I'm slowing you down, you keep going until I tell you to stop. Then he gets into 29B. And if you meet anyone, this is after they get, she gets to, Gah uh, to Elisha, and they're with Gehazi, and they're sending him back. She's going back with Elisha and Gehazi, and they send him up ahead. And he says, if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. We are on a mission. We ain't got time to be stopping and talking to folks. We ain't got time to sit around and be on Facebook. We ain't got time to be hanging out at parties and jazz clubs. We are sitting there trying to do something great and transform our lives. The focus has to be there that when we say we are in as well, that is because we have been focused doing what God had told us to do. We can't be hanging out all nights in the clubs and missing church. We can't be doing all these things and everything we think we want to do and not serving God because he says you better be focused on this. If you meet anyone, don't greet them. If anyone greets you, don't answer them. I ain't got no time to talk to you, bro. I got stuff to do. I'm moving over here. I got this. I got to get this thing done. But too many of us, we get distracted. We can't do anything because we're so focused on what everybody else is doing. They having fun. I want to be part of the fun. 
See, the race horse, they had these things they put on them called blinders. These blinders right there, they block what's happening on the side and only allow the horse to see what's in front. Because if he's looking at the other horse on the side, he might slow down. You can't win the race worrying about what other people are doing. You cannot accomplish anything if you're worried about what everybody else is doing and you're not there. I want to be with hanging out with this horse. The jockey, we got to go. Let's go. We have a mission. We have something we have to do. We can't be distracted with all this nonsense. Yes, sir. The world is always trying to pull us to this place. And we, you, what, you going to church again? You reading your Bible again? What do you mean you can't tell you? You pray, pray time. Pray time? How do you expect to have power in your life if you are not focused on what God has told you to do? Spend time in my word. Study my word. Listen to my word. And you're sitting around there. You see these pictures of everybody on Facebook. I'm coming to your church. I'm coming to your church one day, but boy, it was too, I couldn't get out of bed this morning. They all on Facebook with the, 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 the mimosas and the champagne. And <laughs> Turn up. It was lit. Proverbs 4.25. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Don't be looking to the side. Cut out these distractions. Don't nobody care. When you're sitting around here on your deathbed, and you actually, you don't have to be on your deathbed. When you just in that, when I'm sitting around there, got people who would never come to this church calling me because they're in the hospital. You just in the hospital. You ain't worried about, can you, call, can you come pray with me? Well, you know the Laker game is on, and I want to see the Lakers get beat. How you gonna feel? I don't. You don't. It don't matter. He should go watch the game and not come pray for me. I got distracted. I'm sorry. That ain't acceptable. Don't nobody want to hear that. They need. I want you to come pray for me. Don't tell me you going to a basketball game. Don't. Don't tell me you going to USC football game. I need you to pray. for me. God has something for us. He said, look your eyes straight, your focus this way, and we can't be distracted. And we don't want no destroy. We want things our way. I'll be distracted, but you better keep focused on me. So, serve without expecting anything. Keep your focus. And the third thing, uh, run to the throne and not the phone. You know how we are. Girl, he didn't say this again. Man, you know, if this lady say this to me one more time, we go have problems. We talk, talk, talk to everybody. I got this problem, and if I, if I don't talk to somebody, I'm going to lose it. We'll talk to everybody except God. Whatever's happening at home, we will talk to, we'll tell everybody else but God. Talk to our friend, mom, dad, sister, brother, something, auntie and uncle, cousin, friend, all these people that can't do nothing for you except feed in to your anger. Every time they have their agenda 
or their dysfunction in their home, and because, I mean, you see this all the time, man, if this girl, she done said this to me again, well, you know what? My woman just did this too, and let me tell you what I did. <laughs> and you, really, you did this? It's just like everybody watch Key and Peele, when there's these two brothers, he's going to talk about, I just looked at her, I told her, and he's going to be really looking around for his wife. <laughs> And then they kind of whisper the, the B word, and then the wife walking, huh? They are, every time they show them, they're in a different location, hiding out, talking to each other, lying about what they said to their wives. No, they didn't say nothing to their wives, but that dysfunction is the type we bring into our, our relationships with people, listening to people who are lying to us, telling about what we should do. And if somebody, what was it, what did you say about this before? Mary Kay, was it with Mary Kay? Did you not suppose that? Don't take advice from people you don't want to be in that position. Why am I going to listen to somebody that only has dysfunctional relationships? Why are you listening to somebody about your marriage that don't have a husband or a wife? They don't know about marriage. Talking about, well, they've been married five times. Clearly, they ain't figured it out. I, I've never understood this. It's, it's almost like you sit there when you talk to a guy, uh, you know, it's like... <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> you run to the throne and not the phone. Verse 22 says, Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. She had just had a tragedy. Her son died in her arms. She didn't even tell her husband that his son died. She said, I've got to run to the man of God. She wasn't on the phone talking to anybody. She wasn't even talking to her husband about this. I got to go to God because only God can do this. She already knew this old man can't do nothing. He couldn't do it before. What makes sense? He's going to be able to help her with the dead boy. She knew that it was only because God had blessed her was the reason why she was able to have this child and that God was going to be the only one that could help her with this tragedy. She knew this one fundamental truth. All your business ain't for everybody. But we try to bring other people into our business. But she also knew that if she told her husband what had happened, he would have stopped her. Just because we know better. My wife is taking a class on computers and she asked me, uh, should she take another class? And what did I say? Why waste your time? You know this. It, Perfect as I'm saying she know what she want to do, and I'm telling her to stop. You don't need to do this. Not because I don't want her to, you know, let's get this straight. Not because I don't want her educated. She has her master's degree, and I've supported her in that. It's just I'm thinking, my mind says it's a waste of time. She says this is something I need to do. This woman didn't even bother talking to her husband about it. She knew this is what she needed to do. She just did it. I guess that's a word for you, baby. You just do it. <laughs> but the reason why we're able to go to God is because we know that God understands our needs and our wants. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He knows everything about us. He knows everything we've done. He knows everything we're going through. And it says, But it was all points he was tempted as we were, yet without sin. We have a high priest that is, understands everything that we're going through. Every ache, 
every pain, every sorrow, every argument, everything that we are dealing with, he understands too. So why are we going to everybody else who can't understand our pain? Why are we talking to people that can't do anything for us instead of going to the one who understands what we've gone through? This woman understood the only way I'm going to have peace in this moment is to go to God. You won't have peace with any situation in your life until you go to God. Verse 31, 30 and 31 uh, says, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. This is what she's telling Elisha. I want my son to live, but as the mother of this child, I am not leaving you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet them and told them, saying, The child has not awakened. Gehazi was not anointed. See, we, we <laughs> even when we think that we are dealing with people who are godly, because they hang out with church folk, because they in church all the time, they are not connected to God. The one that she knew was connected to God was the one she said, I'm not leaving you. Elisha was the one that sent Gehazi ahead, but when Gehazi went ahead, nothing happened. Nothing happened at all because he did not have the anointing. If you read this further along, you will see that he ended up stealing some money that was offered from King Naaman to Elisha. But Elisha rejected it. So Naaman, I mean, Gehazi took it. And because of this, as the Bible referred to treachery, he, uh, he was leprous, turned to become a leper. He was no longer walking with the man of God. But this is who we turn to. We will turn to men. We will turn to women. We will turn to prophet this and prophetess that. Apostle this and apostle that. Bishop this and bishop that. And ain't none of them connected to God. We'll talk to our aunts and our uncles and cousins and friends, but we still haven't talked to God. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I am going to, this is almost like uh, Israel. Jacob, when he, I won't let you go until you bless me. Yeah. See, I am not going to leave you until you get to this place and take care of my son. Yeah. She even went further. I told you, don't lie to me, man of God. I didn't tell you I needed a kid, but you told me I could have a kid, and now you take this child from me? I'm not leaving. I am not leaving. Yeah. Don't trust people. Don't put your trust in man. Only put it on God. But the one thing that's interesting in verse 34 and 35, Elisha had to revive, try twice. And there's nothing wrong when you see something not working because you've been told to go this way. You've read, you've prayed, and you feel God directing you someplace. Elisha didn't raise the child at first. And it said he walked around the room and then went back. Just like she said, I will not leave you. You don't give up on God. You do it again. 
And you do it again. And you do it again. Until God does what he says. But the biggest thing about all this. This woman didn't complain one bit. No whining. No pity. No anger. No hostility. And it was clear there was no doubt that God was going to help her. Because when her husband said, why are you going to see this dude? It ain't Sunday. This is not Bible study. Why are you going? It is well. Nobody knew what was going on with her. Son died and dead in her house. And nobody knew. It is well. Somebody said to me, why looking at pictures I put on Instagram? How are you walking around here living like you high on the hog? You ain't got no job. I said, no, I don't, but I got a good guy. I have a good guy. And if I had been studying this sermon then, I would have said, it is well. What else am I supposed to do? Life still has to be lived, despite the circumstances. No, I'm not feeling great this morning, but life still goes on. No, things are not where they're supposed to be in my house, but life still has to go on. No, my kids have done this and my children have disappointed me. My kids are watching. I ain't talking about you. But life still goes on. It is well. It is well. But only after we have learned to serve without asking for anything in return, that we limit our distractions and stay focused on what God has called us to do. And then we turn to God for everything and stop turning to everybody else. That's when we'll be able to have the strength and the courage to say, it is well. It is well. It is well. Despite life, despite circumstances, despite the attacks of the enemy, it is well. So the challenge for us today is to live our lives that says that we know who God is so that if anybody asks us any questions, our response can simply be, it is well. Amen? Amen. 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 Father.